Okay, so uh, we can kick it off whenever, Ed. Uh, so uh, this is going to be a you-heavy episode. Um, you know, we haven't really got to talk, just you and I one-on-one on the podcast yet, so this is a good opportunity, I think, for us to talk about where you come from and kind of this philosophy behind the Wounded Roots uh you know those ideas, but also know that you wanted to speak uh, a bit about narcissism today. Um, so uh, I'll turn it over to you from here, and then when I have somewhere where I want to jump in, I'll I'll flag you down. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, kick it off. Cool. Yeah. Well, hi, my name's Ed. Um, really, over this podcast, I'm kind of um, well, where I've come from. Basically, I've studied um at the institute of psychosynthesis and that's a psychological model that entails the notion of a soul so it's really the psychology of the soul and the wounding that is incurred through um through incarnation into the human being so it really offers a perspective and a psychology of love of will um and of the structures of the in the psyche that the that are placed in order to get a sense of belonging in the world. But really what we're trying to do, you know, we, we come into this world having to build these structures in order to psychologically survive. But that's at the compromise of our authentic self. And, you know, as we get into adulthood, really the next part of our journey is to kind of de-shackle ourselves from said programming, whether it's cultural programming, family, tribal programming, um, internal parental uh, imagos which is your internalization of your mother and father um, so so really it, it kind of um, it's constantly coming from a, a spiritual perspective that all of your wounding really is actually a way of self trying to do things differently trying to seek the opportunities for growth and more authentic expression it seems like it's a both uh kind of something that has to happen and then something that is gonna be uncomfortable well like like i mean it's cliche as it is to say like the buddha said life is suffering and there is such a thing as legitimate suffering you know this this world isn't we we live in a dualistic world and that means that not everything is always good and rosy there is good there is evil you know there is pain there is there is joy um there is the dark, there is the light, everything has its duality. And that is part of the human condition. But what we tend to do is we shun the pain, we shun the wounds. These are the bits that we don't want to look at. And I mean, that's a huge topic in itself. Maybe we could talk a bit, a little bit about it down the line. But um, Wounded Roots, the name Wounded Roots, I guess, comes from the fact that we all have wounds. You know, we all have wounds. And if you acknowledge that, that's the beginning of healing everything is medicine ultimately so that's the beginning but what happens after that so once we we acknowledge that you know then we're able to um look at ourselves uh and say you know what that is an injury i do have to i do have to heal myself over that like it, and it may be you know one of my favorite sayings is it's not my fault but it's still my responsibility so I think eventually we come to a point where we're like, all right, you know, it's not my fault that this happened or that I'm like this, or maybe it is. But regardless, uh, my behavior and my life is under my own control to, to whatever extent I can get. It's not true for everyone. But for those people, when they're ready to acknowledge that they have, you know, those difficulties or those type of injuries that they're living with and then they want to change, then what's the next step for them at that point, you know? 
Well, I think you've you've talked about something really good there, which is around the shift between childhood and adulthood, because a child inherently is not responsible. You know, it is the parent that is responsible for the child to a point. And as we reach adulthood, there is this theme of responsibility. That's the thing that that's the kind of piece that we need to adopt, really, in order to take take back our power. It's interesting in nature, too, because you never see, at least I can't recall, um, in any type of advanced form of life where the um, the child is a constant partner of the parent. Like, there's always a point of going out and separating on their own, and then, you know, it was up to the parent to raise them, but, you know, they get kicked out of the nest, or they're chased off, or they just wander off on their own, whatever that is. Um, but you know what in your experience i guess what kind of wounds do people have or what are the most common easy to recognize you know like where you're not alone in having this kind of yeah 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 you know like relatable examples where people are you talk to you know as much as you can speak about it right well i think i think the main the main and broadly speaking it's it's the the fact that we're not fully seen in our ugliness and our dirtiness, in our human being wholeness growing up. And those parts that are failed to be recognized and mirrored authentically by our caregivers are the parts that we deem shameful. Um, so these are the parts that get locked away, you know. And it's a massive ancestral wounding, really, because those who have been wounded by not being seen and met adequately by their par- parents and caregivers therefore haven't got the ability unless they take the responsibility in adulthood to recognize those parts in themselves and therefore when they have children they miss they aren't because they're unable to love those parts of themselves because they weren't loved by their parents they they're then unable to love those parts of their children and this is deeply unconscious stuff you know this is why we go to therapy and this is why we do these kind of um why people go to workshops and and self self developmental things because it's really about looking inside at yourself honestly and with compassion. You know, it's. I wouldn't even say that it's even that novel of an idea. The the, the not that you're saying it's a novel idea, but it seems to be like uh, part of the earliest mythology that we have. So I know that you're somewhat familiar with uh, Carl Jung's work and uh or uh maybe not carl young but uh right you know carl young yeah yeah absolutely and then also um goodness who writes uh uh man i'm 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 feeling like a fool now but uh well, freud the other one no not freud i'm talking about the mythology behind a uh, man um myth with a thousand faces you with a thousand faces oh joseph, joseph campbell. campbell um so that one I, are you familiar with that do you know I've not read his book, but I am familiar with the hero's journey. Absolutely. And that's also one of those things that's just filled with this constant struggle between the uh, the next generation of people. Like there's this there's always this, well, y'all y'all screwed it up for us and now we're having to fix your mistakes and the next generation feels the same way. And uh uh, the next generation, and it's you know, it's the Titans, and then it's the gods, and before them, uh, or in any other culture, there's always a pre-existing parental race that gives birth to a resentful race. As they come into maturity, uh, they kick out the parent, and they 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 kill the parent, 
and they say, um, you know, now I'm in charge. And when you read these mythologies from the perspective of a child, they seem really harsh. When you read them from a perspective of the parent, it's like, yeah, I've been trying to get you to do this for a long time. I'm done with this. It's your turn to run this. Like, I need to retire, go sit down. This is what you inherit. And so there is this kind of uh, initiatory relationship between the next generation. We want to make sure that the next generation that follows us has two things that we didn't have. And that's probably more information that we got to have, right? I think that's the most important thing that we can pass on to the next generation is just more information. If we can't be directly helpful, we can at least give them information to use if they're smarter than us. Um, and then I think the second thing that's important to have is like uh, this, and I guess it's more inspired from my uh, relationship with Kali, but there's also this kind of like, you gotta let these people learn their lessons and get injured sometimes um and that and that you that when you're the one that that's happening to it's easy to be resentful it's easy to see it as uh and maybe i'm completely completely off on how to look at this but when you're the kid and you're getting in trouble and you suffer a punishment for your behavior you want to raise your fist at the tyrant um but as the adult you want that kid to behave in a way where they can survive in a much more complicated environment and so you want to nuance their behavior in whatever manner you think that that is you know a lot of people are different in how they how they perceive that that's where the opinions come in uh but i think that a responsible adult in any species mm. you do is trying you to do, do that you do but there's also the notion that the kid you know it almost speaks to the lack that we have sometimes in trusting that the child will be able to do that and figure that out for themselves and not not to say it's not going to be painful um and and i like what you're talking about there about like this you know separation from mother and father whether it's culturally or, or you know mythology myth mythologically or um or whatever but there does seem to be a lot of aggression around that period of time i mean adolescence is a, a really good example you know it's the beginning of saying no to mum and dad and yes to individuality you know yes to who i am and no to this tribal familial uh, environment in which I've grown up in because that's because then you're part of the tribe whereas you're not you're not individuated then really you, you're you're conformed to the needs of the tribe um, and so there is that separation but it's it, it's held differently in different cultures and it's it's quite condemned and it's quite a violent process sometimes but I'm just thinking of um, I love referring to tribal tribal cultures because as much as it sounds quite um, barbaric, maybe in a way, you know, there's cultures that's that when when a boy becomes a man, and 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 we're talking about this separation period, that there's there's ritual and ceremony around it. Sometimes some cultures, uh, tribes, tribal cultures will, you know, bring the children out on a on a five day quest out into the jungle and leave them out there, and they have to make their own way home, and they come back as a man. You know, some uh, there's there's an amazing episode on uh, I think it was Bruce Parry. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that, but anyway, it was a TV program showing um, another ritual around when 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 children become go from adolescence to adulthood in a way. The boy becomes the man, and that what they have to do is they have to uh, all the whole tribe comes around and they have to stick their hand in a, um, a glove which is full of fire ants, which are really really painful bites, you know, and they have to hold that there for five minutes or something 
and the, and the kids are in tears and crying and the, all the all the uh, the tribes people around are kind of cheering it on and it's a it's a really celebrated thing but but obviously what the the kid is going through is is a, a serious pain you know and a a real psychological death of sorts so um so yeah there's, psychological there's death i think that's important because Go. that's that's always part of initiation right this is this uh you know one of the stories of initiations i think for like the golden dawn or one of these esoteric societies is that they do a big show about spooking you up real good and then at the last second they uh they act like they're gonna kill you and they really make a good show of it to scare you as much as they can and they want to they're trying to if you believe the myth they're trying to literally scare you out of your own body and that's when you realize you can actually leave and project but in a more metaphorical sense and when you see it in these uh societies with children and they need to have a certain ability to handle adulthood it's kind of like it's saying if you can handle this you can handle everything else that we've done right and when uh i was in the military it's also very initiatory like you have to do these uh rituals you have to complete these and and it's not because the individual is important it's because to meet the standards that the whole wants to be that the whole wants to have the society whatever that society is or culture wants to be a certain way and they said you know what no matter what this is what it takes for us to survive and to get initiated into this you need to meet these qualifications and that and that initiation is sometimes saying like look you can't we can't take care of you anymore. You have to help. And this is how you have to help, right? If you liked being able to be raised this way or with whatever that relationship is, there's a social contract where it's like, all right, now it's your turn to make this possible for the next generation. And this is that, how we that, want to make that's sure. The, that's the adult speaking to the child, yeah? It, yeah, like... absolutely. That's the justification from the adult saying, you know, this is why it's okay for me to allow you to suffer now not to say that it doesn't get um abused right justified for certain behavior that's not conducive to development do you have people that justify abuse with this kind of philosophy like well if i don't toughen them up they're not going to be able to survive this environment that and then use that just to abuse their kids or to um, abuse or surrounded, whatever it is, uh, that it's clear, like, you know, when it's happening. Um, and when you see it, you can tell when someone's being abused, it's obvious. And if there's an abuser, that's one of the many excuses that they can come up with for why that they want to do that. It's so they, so you can be ready to, for manhood. But the difference is between that, like just some bum, uh, beating the shit out of his kids or, some mom who, uh, like, you take Casey Anthony who drowns her kids and shit like that. Like, these people don't really care about the people that they're involved with. Those people are infringing on their right to do whatever it is that they want to do. When you're initiated by a group of people who give a shit about you, they make you better. Like, they, they when you're done with that initiation, they, they hug you, they embrace you, they congratulate yeah, you. Your brothers, that. there's a... Uh, there's a camaraderie about it. They hold you up. Lovely. You're equal. When you're when that's happening, when someone else is doing it, and it's not in that context, you just are always getting beat down. Well, it, it's it's a restorative it's a restorative act at the end of that. So and this happens from very early on in in from birth. You know, like from birth, we are are you know as children, 
as newborn babies to the mother even you know we are pure narcissism let's say but but because we need to be because all our needs have to be met and the world has to revolve around us or else we'll die we're dependent on that so what happens you know is is that we slowly wean the child off the fact that it's every single need will be met you know and that's quite wounding for a child but like in the same way you're talking about the kind of uh well the way you're talking about it in the, the military or any kind of initial initiation um scenario when the child's let down because their needs aren't met suddenly so, so they're used to having mother bring me milk i want this this is my toy everything comes to me now you know slowly slowly and it and it is a slow process it needs to be a slow process the child can learn that mum and dad or these people aren't perfect but they they are there for me and they will restore you know they will restore the uh, the suffering so that there is there is kind of meaning in the suffering and you will still be there one of the telltale signs of a kid who's been neglected or abused is how sufficient they are on their own uh you know you children who are far too young to be getting in the cabinet making a sandwich putting cereal and milk and turning on the TV and all that. Like if they're one, one and a half, two years old doing that. I mean, I'm not saying that can't be just a really advanced go-getter kid, but typically sure. that means that yeah. those kids, a lot of the kids that come from abused homes are like that. Like if you've ever fostered, uh, given foster care to a child who's been in a home like that, they'll just get in your refrigerator. They'll get in your cabinets. They don't think twice about personal, like for them, they're hungry. The food is there. They're going to get it. They're not asking up there because they're afraid. They don't want to go say, hey, can I get something to eat? Or And that's a different kind of like, I mean, it's, an, it's yeah. an initiation into, into independent. It's just, it's one that causes problems that that kid is going to constantly have to deal with. Where uh, I would say, just to brag on my own stuff, to give myself an example with my kid, because I think I do an okay job with my son, uh, peanut butter jelly sandwiches. He's used to getting them on demand. But now, if he wants one, he can make it himself. And it took him a bit to deal with that, to go from, like, no, I don't want to make it, to, okay, I can make it. And now he's like, let me get I, – I want one. All right, get the bread. I'll get the bread down for him, get everything yeah, out, yeah. and then he makes yeah. the sandwich. But and, also, but I'm now, sure that you, you supported him in that, in, in that how-to-make-the-sandwich process, you know. Right, right. You showed him how to do it, put the bread out. Like, I even showed him how to trick it up. You can throw a piece of bread in the middle. <laughs> um you know uh so we have a good time with it but that's there's a lot of similarity between that but one of them is like extremely damaging right and or you imagine because then you have these people that come out of dramatic traumatic or uh unfortunate or just unfair situations in their character it's just such a scatter range it's hard to say like you know, kids that come from a bad environment end up being bad people because you have so many examples of people who come from bad environments who, in spite of it, have sought to make a change in their community, who have personally experienced that type of abuse and are better for where they're at. Like, they end up helping more people because they have so much pain and sympathy for how many people it's happening to. And they and they can be uh, hugely impactful in their culture and their, in their, even their local social systems. Um, you know, like our social heroes throughout, you know, in other governments and other countries, you have like people like Gandhi and uh, I think Cesar Chavez is a, a worker union guy, who, you know, for people's rights or worker rights. Um, I'm probably getting that wrong, though. Uh, but 
that those people come from those environments where they're like you completely relate with that abuse and they see the solution to the problem and they're willing to speak out to it because they know what it really means and if those people are a byproduct of that environment um what's the what and i'm not saying that's the only byproduct because obviously you get people who go the way other like they justify doing horrible things um they justify being victims and why they can victimize others uh they 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 just become different people and i don't know what's more likely to come out of that situation i think more likely is that just somebody lives in a desperate situation and then dies in a desperate situation but um anyways I, i'm going on too long about an idea but you go ahead and hmm. well i mean maybe let's talk a little bit about just the the the, the thing is that the topic is around narcissism um why don't we talk a little bit about maybe what a narcissist looks like? Because there's lots of, you know, there's lots of different um, kind of angles on that, really. But I'm when I when I talk about it through a psychosynthesis perspective, really, it's the inflation of self to ego. So, so the narcissist can't can't distinguish the higher power or the higher self or anything like that because you're so the narcissist is attached with the idea of being god of you know i mean i would i would say a strong point towards nearly everyone in politics has to be a narcissist to be a world leader you know and that's not that's not that's not through and through but what we have in our in, in our in our history anyway very much as an example of that um i mean trump is is one of the biggest most clear examples of a narcissist going so so uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it'd be, why don't we unpack a little bit about how different people view narcissists, and then we can talk a bit more about that. It's funny that you mentioned Trump because Gabe and I were talking before uh, you and I got on the phone. I was, I was trying to get him to be able to jump in later, and um, you know, he's like, "Well, I got to do a little bit more research on narcissism," and he's like, "So, like, can you give me an example of what a narcissist is like? Well, like Trump." Trump's a perfect example of a narcissist. Like every, like the textbook definition of what I would consider a narcissist to be is that type of behavior. And yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know we're kind of elaborating on a little bit more, but I think that it's this self-masturbatory um, perversion, right? Like it's beyond it. it it's, you know, so we talked earlier about how you make this switch from being the selfish individual to being an individual that is focused on its growing its community. And if, you, if you're not a member of that community yet, then you probably haven't been initiated into it or you haven't been sought out or whatever it is uh, because you haven't decided to make that switch from being a child to an adult. So the adult community hasn't brought you in. You're not, you're probably not dealing with them. You're probably playing video games and hanging out at your high school, whatever it is that people do until they decide to grow up. Uh, what I'm not saying playing video games is uh, that was a bad example because I still I play video games. I know what you mean. But um, I'm just a generic, you know, loser. Uh, but when you make that switch, then we exp then you are expected to perform a certain service for your. We, we could yeah, I was about to say we could we could call this switch from survival to service. Yeah, and so it's like all right. So in order for my survival to continue and for this to continue for my children or my uh the people who come after me now even if you don't have children 
just the next person, the consideration of how you impact the human beings around you because you realize for you to be comfortable, uh, you like that, right? And you, everybody wants to do that. So there's just some, we have to make concessions. And so we try to figure out what these concessions are and we agree to them. The narcissist doesn't do that. The narcissist decides they're going to skirt those concessions um, at all costs. And uh, every civil notion that we hold as a, uh, as a standard for behavior is nothing to them except for a tool of deception. The, they, they want you to be polite as long as that politeness is a weakness for you. The second they can be rude and overbearing, and that's what's going to give them the advantage, that's what they'll do. The second a lie is going to give them the advantage over just being polite and having discourse or disagreement, that lie will be the thing that gets them closest to what they want, which is to satisfy themselves. Anytime you yeah. see a narcissist, I would think a narcissist is someone who, or when you want to recognize somebody with really dominant narcissistic behavior, not to say we aren't all narcissistic to some degree, like there's some yes, things that absolutely. we can't help. We need to get ourselves ready, comb our hair, look at ourselves in the mirror to make sure that we look a certain way so that when we go outside that our social contract has been met. We want our community to look a certain way so that our community can feel healthy and vibrant and comfortable and safe. And that, I'm not saying you can't express yourself however you want, but there's behavior and hygiene, social hygiene that is expected, right? Like if, and when you make that switch, it's saying like you, your, your purpose as an individual is forfeit to the greater purpose of the whole. Um, and you can become a victim of that culture uh, hopefully you wouldn't, but by breaking the law, you can then become a victim of that culture. Um, and even a narcissist has the ability, I think, to not break the law or to not abuse someone. I think their primary desire is to do that. Um, I don't think that they're helpless to do that. Like, I don't think, I, I wouldn't give them the excuse of behavior as being like, oh, well, they're just a narcissist. That's just how they are. They they abuse people all the time. That's just, what are you going to do? You know, it's like, no, they, they cannot be that way. Also, you can be a narcissist, heavily inclined to narcissistic behavior and still have accountability and recognize that behavior, which is why you were talking about this idea that if we're wounded in a way that makes us narcissistic, if you come from a narcissistic haven while well, you take Trump, who was raised by people who are like this, who encourage yeah. well, that type of behavior. The kind of wounding that happens, yeah. Well, look, he's got two other brothers who didn't do that. They came from the same environment. They came from the exact same kind of setting, and they decided to do something else with their life. Um, and so, I don't know. There's, but that's not to say. I mean, I don't know. I don't know a lot about his brothers and what they do, and and about their character, their moral character, or anything like that. But that's not to say because if if Trump or whoever is if the parents are narcissistic themselves, then that's how narcissism is born in children and young people because they are, like you said, a narcissist only only loves what it, their idea. Of, so, so it's cloaked in... So a, a narcissist will look like they've got great self-esteem, but actually underneath there's deep, deep, deep insecurities around different various parts of themselves. Um, and they fight very hard with the the parts that kind of that the 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 false self structures basically to to keep to keep their self esteem alive. 
but this is what makes the narcissist very very fragile person actually and like you said very um uh what's the word sensitive to criticism or always needs to be in a state of power um because they've got great strong ideals that they need to follow by and the two coins of narcissism are grandiose and when you fall out of the grandiose it's into shame into deep shame or depression um and so you know the narcissist with a, with a child is only able to see what what they're able to love in themselves so let's let's think of uh i'm just making this up now like a narcissistic footballer you know and and really he's he's only his only real love for himself is about his skill in football but everything else about his character his his moral being he he's he's ashamed about or he's not in love he doesn't have a true loving connection to for whatever reason just to paint the picture and so then typically what he would do with his son would be to to, to naturally force him to play football, even though that that's a separate soul and it might not have the intention of coming into this world um, with the dream of being a famous footballer, just like dad, you know, he, he might have wanted to be a dancer, for example. And so through his, through his authentic needs being shunned by the father, because the father can only love the parts of his son that are willing to uh, conform to his desire to be a great footballer. Um, it, 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 the child is missed, deeply, deeply missed, because you've the the, the parents projected this idea on a, on a being which is theirs and not the authentic beings itself. Because we're we're constantly looking for mirroring. We're constantly looking for mirroring to, and what I mean by mirroring is that empathic response to how we are. You know. I feel like you're uh, trying to personally attack me right now. Um, honestly, yeah, just to be a little bit more open, I, I do tend to kind of lean that way as far as being narcissistic and having almost a bipolar kind of way of seeing the world. I'm either doing it or yeah. I'm not me doing too, it. Mate. Me too, me too. I and, mean, I, but I, the difference is between, I think, me and a legit narcissist. Okay, this is the difference, and, and you as well. It's not that. It's not that it. It's not that it. Uh, we don't feel that way. It's that. Um, you feel that way, and then acknowledge it, and then don't act on the behavior. Or if you act on that behavior, like wow, that was really short-sighted. Or uh, like you tend to be able to, and this is true for everyone. So if anyone else out there is feeling triggered, uh, like this is behavior that describes you, your setting, or maybe you find yourself leaning in this direction and you don't know how to get out of it. Uh, the, the easy, it, just having the ability to see it, to be, uh, to have some reflective thought about it, to be aware of it already means you're not a full blown narcissist. Like right then and there, yeah, brilliant. you already have enough awareness to be like, all right, well, I know that was one thing to do. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have tried to make somebody do that. I remember uh, when I was a kid, I used to be real bad about making other kids give me money. Um, cause I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money growing up. So I would go with my friends and if they had money, I would get them to buy me shit, but I would always get them to buy it. I would make them think it was for them. Um, and then I go home and I, I'll just go over to the house and play with it whenever I like, that's when I would go over to their house and play with the toy I had them buy for me. Uh, but, but, um, you know, now obviously that's not the type of behavior that's acceptable. 
Um, and being able to be insightful about that and reflect on that and change It's very, yourself. very difficult as well. It's, it's very Yeah, it's not to, easy. We are, I, I totally agree with what you said. We are, we are all, we all have uh, narcissism in us. It's, I think it's a developmental line. It's not, it's not a uh, pathological, um, what's the word, diagnosis, um, as much as many people state that it is. But I definitely believe, again, linking back to what I'm talking about around your childhood, early narcissistic needs being primary. That that's and that's a valid narcissistic need you have as a as a kid, like a newborn, growing up, and uh, that that has to be let down slowly. And 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 if if it's not, if it's let down in the wrong ways, then that's where these ruptures turn up. And I think the more narcissistically wounded you are as a child the more narcissistically uh, narcissistic you will uh, present as an adult and, and the harder it will be for you to do things like what you've just said there, which is to be able to have that capacity to uh, disidentify and reflect uh, and notice your narcissistic tendencies. Not to say that you might not be able to change them, but to be able to notice them, it's very, very difficult. You're right. I think one of the, the only thing that can happen with that, and this is maybe it's, a little bit cynical on my part is the person has to want to do it like there's no uh I, it, almost to me in a sense there is a sense of like helplessness for people who are so narcissistic they can't even imagine to ask for help or imagine to change but i believe i believe the soul still and again the narcissist might not acknowledge this very 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 seldom will they because you know they they don't um they ultimately are god you know um so well, that goes back to Buddha, right? Like, um, I can't remember if we talked about it here or earlier, but kind of concept of this self-contained deity within the human being. Um, it's very appealing, I think, to a narcissist. And you even can see it develop in uh, like some of the weirder cults and things like that. Uh, and it's as a form of leadership where you where you hear people say, like, I'm an alien and God uh, but that's only if it's recent. If we go back far enough, then we can call it a religion. But um, it's interesting to have this. The whole is the same as the individual. Uh, and then also have, which is duality, I think, is also being able to have a brain to say, all right, I can be everything and take and be responsible for it at the same time. Right? Like, it's like having a human body. You You can still take care of it. Right, like you don't have to treat it like shit just because you already got it. You know, you can have a little bit more, and it sucks to exercise. It sucks to eat right. It sucks to uh, read if you don't like to read. I love to read, but I know some people don't like to read. If you mm -hmm. don't read, then you're probably doing yourself a use of service. Um, in my opinion, like that's one of the biggest things I think that could help people expand themselves to their own injuries without having to expose themselves to other people. So one of the hardest things, and this is just something that's coming out now, but just I'm making it up, so I don't know if this is true, but I imagine that for a human being to expose that their vulnerabilities to another human is more difficult than it is to pick up a book and relate to a character who you find something in common with, and then find self-reflection through whether it be a fiction or nonfiction, but a situation or an event that you can relate to in a way that uh, is personal, similar to a conversation that you could get with another human being, but you just don't have the ability to open up or to be forthcoming, right? Just for us to talk like this, uh, 
probably isn't common for people to do unless they're forced to do it. You know what I mean? Like when you finally sit someone down, it's like, why are you a fucking narcissist? Explain to me how you feel. You're, you're out of here. You well, know, it's, like... directly, it's directly linked to your self-esteem, isn't it? It's like to, to acknowledge your narcissism is to kind of surrender in that moment or, or, or through those processes at least to uh, a sense of powerlessness because when when we're in our full narcissism you know unhealthily we do feel powerful you know and that's that that's the side of grandiose but acknowledging it or 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 either acknowledging it or having coming to face to face with it being challenged and and facing the delusion of that brings us to great shame and we can do that consciously or or things just happen to us in life which you know knock us off our narcissistic high horse and then we do go into the shame um but it's yeah like it's, you it's, can surrender uh say again did you feel like you can surrender is that do you, like is that something that you can do when it's called for um no i find it really difficult <clears throat> I, I mean i'll be i'll be honest i i definitely feel that i have a lot of narcissistic tendencies that that i would like to um to, to kind of work with and the thing is it's a both and so like I'll, I'll give you a really intimate one which is kind of like work i work with children and um i'm very good at relating to the kids generally and i really like bringing the kids love and joy but it also gives me this great sense and this is the narcissistic bit gives gives me this great sense a part of me is doing doing the things i do because um i know that the children love and respect me so it's a narcissistic fulfillment of love and respect for the child so a slight manipulation there but at the same time whilst that's happening there is also an authentic love and care for the child so it's it's also it's also kind of I think sometimes really enmeshed in acts of you know what is self love and what is narcissism that can be a really sticky sticky thing to get around I think maybe you might be able to define those a bit more clearly but I find I think sticky. I can yeah go for it um, so are you familiar with like the that the the human body has to perform this kind of homeostasis routine like so it doesn't keep uh, i guess it's homeostatic i can't remember the biological terminology for it uh, i took a class in uh i took a pre physiology class one time so i know exactly what i'm talking about yeah. uh so the body doesn't keep things at an exact range it keeps things at a uh and a, a variable right so your temperature is never exactly a certain degree it's a very it, as long as it's in the range it's fine and so there's all these ranges of systems in the body. They're all slightly adjusting for one another. If there's too much sugar, this goes down. If there's not enough fat, this adjusts. And they are always constantly doing this to keep you healthy. Well, one of the one of the things that it uses is positive feedback loop. So a positive feedback loop is when you're doing something good and then something good comes back to you. Okay? And then that something good leads to something else good, and that leads to something else good. So it incentivizes you to do the things maybe at the beginning aren't very comfortable, but they lead to a, 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 a something down the road that's more beneficial. So when you're with kids and you get caught in this positive feedback loop, that's designed like that's your body or that's the soul or that's whatever it is. It's saying like, this feels good because you're doing good. It's not the guilty 
this is not the guilty shame of I'm not supposed to be doing this and nobody knows. Like you're, no, uh, yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. This is not the sneaky addict trying to not get caught. You know, this is the person who's providing a necessity for the community and they enjoy their work. Um, and and even if it's not a necessity, what if you just enjoy work and you get a satisfaction from it? That's why you hear this saying, like, you know, if you enjoy your work, you never work a day in your life. Um, but that's so to me, I wouldn't necessarily feel guilty about that type of positive feedback. I think it's innate. Okay, uh, so well, I'll give you another example then. Things you reflected back on the example. Um, and another one for, for at work. Um, so when, when I'm at work, when, I, when I'm at work, I, um, because of the passion I have for the kids. I, I feel that sometimes I'm very critical of other staff members and that's because they're not doing enough. And that's that. this is the dialogue, by the way, that I'm saying they're not doing enough. That's not the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is every, everyone's got their own gifts and qualities to bring and everyone's got their own amount that they can bring and everyone probably is doing the best they can. But due to feeling like I can see what the child needs and where it's being, where it's not be, where they're not being met. I, I, I get very bitter towards other staff members. Um, and that disturbs me because that's not a rational point of view, but it's a very strong emotion that plays out sometimes. So I wonder where, where narcissism kicks in there sometimes, whether it's like, you know, when I, when I, when I do the narcissism talk with myself, I say, you, you know, you look at you. You're the one who thinks you know everything. That no, no one gets it apart from you, Ed. You know, no one seems to understand these kids apart from you. And it's, um, it feels very narcissistic when I'm saying that. Well, I don't know. Sometimes you know what you're talking about, and it's not narcissism. It's it's uh, having coming from a place where a sense of authority, um, and definitely a very high sense of like I know better than you know, and if you're not doing what I say, you're wrong. Well, it takes, I guess there is some narcissism there, but there's a difference between someone whose position comes from, you have to feel this way because it's me, right? Versus you need to respect what I have to say specifically because I have this experience. And to, to give you an example that may be, you know, uh, oblique to what you do, but not necessarily completely different. Um, is I used to do a lot of safety coordination and run safety programs in these uh, really dangerous industrial settings. So as somebody who was in charge of multiple safety programs and safety coordinations um, and inspections and filing reports and all these safety things, if I'm walking around a job site and I may not be the official safety guy there, but I'm the guy who knows as much about safety as I know that I know, and if I see somebody who's doing, if I see somebody performing or doing something unsafe, and there's anything I can do to stop it, I'm going to, because I've seen yeah. the consequences of what happens when people don't say anything. I've seen, I've been in those reports where Albright was like, "Well, I was hoping he would notice, or I was hoping he would notice, or he didn't know his foot was there, you know, he should have moved it." But you saw it, right? He was standing there in front of you, and you watched him do it. But how come you didn't stop? And just people expect people to not say nothing or manage themselves. So it's, there's that, that, that doubt that you're having about, well, I don't want to be a narcissist or I don't want to be a, you know, that's what yeah. keeps a lot of people from speaking when they should. So I like, and I'm just playing the devil's advocate here, but I'm not necessarily, you know, yeah. No, no, nice, nice. It's triggered me somewhat. So it's good because, you know, 
like I'll give you an example. The other week I was at work and I was just having a really bad day because I was working with a kid that basically um, just didn't have the support in place for his development. And, you know, I'm there expected to try and help the child when everything in, in the environment is wrong. You know, I'm not going to go into the, all the details, but, but um I was I was furious because I could see other staff as well recreating these wounds for the child. This child's looking for rejection, basically. And so his behaviors are always looking for negative, negative response. And of course, what do most staff do? They do give the negative response and they isolate him and they allow him to mix with kids that are not healthy for this child to be with and all of these different things. And really what the kid needed was um, a much more one-to-one contact perhaps in his own special room which which there were available but I absolutely went mental on one lunchtime in, in the lunchroom obviously in a professional confined space not in front of the kids of course but um and and I was just saying basically you know and I wasn't attacking any particular member of staff I was just expressing why I was so angry and kind of spilling off what I've just told you there and just saying it's not good enough you know and, and and why can't we why can't we get this child into an environment which would suit which would suit him better which everyone agreed on, and and one of the answers was you know that this particular child um, has been known to um, to throw out sexual allegations so so there's risk assessment needed there you can't be in the room you know with him on your own even though that that was absolutely happening a lot anyway so so my next thing is oh why can't we get two members of staff then to to be there and also why can't the, the you can just put the risk assessments in place and i just i guess i just i could see so clearly what needed to be done but the reality is the staff members have got all the other stuff on their plate they don't have that level of uh resonant wounding that i had working with this particular child and what happens the product of me doing that and talking authentically about what the child needs to the team is uh that they they're left a feeling uncomfortable with my anger and I, and I think my anger's valid at the thing because I am angry because it's not enough for the kid, you know, and and that's my job, and uh, and also then left feeling uh, ashamed or, or or attacked personally, even though that's not my intention. So it, that's where this also triggers these narcissistic questions about myself. Although it's like, are you being a narcissist here, or you know? But hearing your story, it makes me question it again. But it's um, it's difficult to be with difficult to be with you got to find your tribe right so that's one thing that can get in people's ways they don't they're not with their tribe um and there's probably yeah, well, you know, more yeah it might be more uh oblique than what i would like to go but just to speak more to you personally you know it it sounds like you need to be in an environment with people who care as much as you do and i can speak to that from uh watching my wife go through different experiences in different uh health giving environments so as she went through her uh licensing she went as a she has to be a preceptor or five preceptors and get like so many hours working for a doctor and so she had to find and work for multiple doctors and some of them were very abusive to their clients and their staff um and some of them were not like uh it's just you know they're not all it's not all the same situation but you definitely have to find the people who are most like you those people are and i don't know these people i'm sure they're your friends to some extent um but people tend to coalesce with like-minded individuals they sit there because they can all kind of justify each other's behavior and they don't like when guys come in there uh 
and they point out the the fault and the reasoning is like well this uh-huh. is not this is not how this is supposed to, like y'all are all complacent and you're get your get your feet off the table like why like lunch is 15 minutes not 30 like come on like these kids are waiting on us to get back out there like what's going on here um that 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 kind that person is you got to have authority to go in there and do that though you know anytime you come in there without being yeah. the dude who's who can let people go like now if you can let them go that's fine hey they'll get up they see you come in they jump up tuck their shirts in yeah, yeah. you know we've had bosses that are like that where he comes in and you become better right because his standard of behavior and his standard of production is higher than yours and if it's not as high as he thinks it should be he's going to let you know and he's going to correct it because he thinks it should be better that's a nice. leader and a boss and the guy who doesn't do that when you walk in and your guys are like, "Oh, what's up, boss?" and they're drinking beers in the break room and they don't do, they don't, they don't sit up or make sure that they're, you know, that they're not behaving correctly. Like, look, you might be their buddy, but you're not their boss. Um, and so that I'm not saying that's narcissistic, but that tends to come from somebody ready to step into the role as of leadership who isn't afraid about stepping on someone else's toes to get that job done. Like we, you know, we circle mm. back to this initiatory moment that that's one moment where I don't want to be the employee who's watching this train wreck. I can do this yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. You know, and that's another moment. And I and like I said, it goes from being narcissism from being like, I shouldn't have to do this because I'm so and so to being the reason we're doing it this way isn't because I'm narcissistic. It's because this is the best way to do things. And I know that because I know I'm right. Right. And the and the if you have that kind of authority with yourself and you're able to have the power to do something about it, which isn't always the case. Um that's when you can really make a difference. But if you're not in that environment to do that, it makes it hard for people to like you for sure. You know, yeah, unless you, you meet like-minded individuals. Now you, there's another guy in there who's like you, who stands up in that room with you. Another girl in there who's like, Hey, you know, it's right. This is everything he's saying. Somebody else has already said you get one more person like that. Then you have something going. But when you're the only person in there and everyone else is fine with the status quo, they don't want to do extra work. They don't want to come in early. They don't want to like that's, Good luck, you know. The good luck. That's a that's a low that's a social environment, and you're gonna try to disrupt it. Good luck. Yeah, God, you speak wise words there, Caleb. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of you know that's you know that's where I'm at in my life at the moment. Is you know I'm 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 trying to do things differently, but I'm looking for how to do that because I can't just keep going back. Because like I said, that that story I've told you. You know, it's not coming from a boss, from me being the boss talking to my team. It's me being me being on the ground floor, you know, talking to the bosses in a way and the team. But um, it's yeah, it's very hard, isn't it, to to talk to talk up the chain of command in that opposite way. So typically what you have to do is you have to talk your way into it and then you have to be in my experience, you have to be able to it's responsibility is what people are looking for responsibility is like, all right, you want to make decisions. How are you going to be responsible for those decisions? Um, whoever isn't, whoever isn't making that or taking responsibility for making decisions, that's the worst guy ever, right? Like you ever been around the person who will tell you to do something that doesn't go the way you planned and like, well, you should have known better than do what I said, right? That's, it's like, come on, dude. Like, what is that? Uh, so it's being able to take responsibility. And like, when someone says, dude, you really messed up. Like you really messed up this time. Like this is a huge screw up. You're like, all right, well, what do I need to do to, you know, how can I fix it? I'm thinking about it. Help me out here. Right. Like 
whatever that whatever that means uh, that's the difference also it's when you're well, ready to again, coming into your humanness isn't it accepting your fallibility and being compassionate through it uh it makes a difference i think when you finally start to get around the people that you're at that level like when you start to find yourself among more like-minded individuals who respect that kind like who recognize that that somebody who can learn from their mistakes is more valuable who is unwilling to learn period right because that person who's like i'm done learning i'm done fixed i I learned everything i can't improve this is how it's going to be that person is like they they will sift wherever they're supposed to be um but you have people who are going to just constantly seek to be like we talked about before that seek to be better seek higher improvement and those those that want to stay or get stuck at certain places or levels they're the ones that feel very threatened um and challenged by those who are trying to uh to continue their development you know when 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 someone who's very comfortable in in a role and i see this a lot in in working with kids you know um so like i work in a special needs schools uh, well lots of different ones and you know a lot of people say wow that must be really hard and and on some levels it is hard of course but on other levels you know particularly with the lower functioning uh, students with autism and uh, other special needs you're as an adult you, you you well i in my experience i come across many lazy teachers and what i mean by lazy is doing the bare minimum because they know they've got an easy placated group of children really you know and and you'll always have teaching assistants so they work on the behaviors so really there's a lot of opportunities in those kind of schools because again the um special needs schools are very rarely heavy on the curriculum they're much more focused around vocation and life skills whereas any state or mainstream school it's it's very much the success of the school is based on the grades the children get so if the grades the kids kids are getting in one school then it's, it's considered a very good school but obviously special needs schools are a little bit different. It's more about the quality of care to the child. So I think teachers can, um, I don't know why, where I'm, why this is coming out actually, or where this is coming from, to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I see it a lot that, that people can get, this is what I'm saying. Sorry, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, so so I see teachers who just kind of get complacent and, uh, and they're just happy to just to be, it's just a job basically. And, uh, and then, you know, I noticed that, my effects when I come in and I see that they're doing the bare minimum, it makes them uncomfortable for me to start, you know, showing the kids more time, more attention. And I can see in their, their own reflections, you know, they're either threatened or ashamed of themselves, one or the other. And and this isn't necessarily heavy feelings, but you can see that they're thinking, oh, they can see a mirror of what they're not doing and they know they could be which either, again, as I say, leaves leaves them with a, a feeling of shame or a feeling of uh, uh, frustration. You know, how dare you threaten what I've got going on here? I'm happy. I'm happy with my my level of commitment. This is, it's funny in, a, in how this type of behavior that you're talking about is just so inappropriate in your situation, but uh, in other situations, it's almost my philosophy towards approaching work, right? I'm not going to lift a, like you pay me just enough to show up. Like, <laughs> like I'm just here. Right. So, you know, you have these people, but I, you know, in an industry where we're constantly fighting with the employer about how much we're making and how much we have to do. Yeah, uh, no, so yeah, it's yeah. not like, it's not like there's kids um, who are, 
being... but, I think the di- but I think the difference is, you know, with when you're working with children, you have a duty of care towards them. If you're working in an office job or doing something out, you know, I'm really kind of really emphasizing the importance on the care and respect for children because they're the, they're the future. They're the ones that are going to be, you know, bringing the new future basically. And if we're not, if we're not doing our best for them, we're not doing our best for ourselves either in the long run. Um, so that's, so it's really, it's really around the children rather than work ethic as such. Cause I agree with you, I, you know, in other jobs, I would, I would absolutely, in fact, even in my job, I finish at half three and I don't, <laughs> that is one thing I'm like, you know, you already pay me a crap wage as it is. I've done a lot today. I am finishing on the dot. Just to talk about more, maybe lightheartedly about uh, not being a very good employee. Just in case anybody out there feels bad about that, don't feel bad about it. Uh, you know that unless you're unless you need to be a job, like if you're you know somebody who needs to be friendly, considerate, caring, um, helpful, nurturing, you know, like. But in general, I don't support even the idea of the work. I'm such a liberal piece of crap. I want the taxes like we, and this is on a whole other tangent, so I'm not going to get into it. But um, anyways, to go back, maybe to to, to cycle back towards uh, what we're talking about with narcissism, um, you know, I think that those coworkers are leaning on narcissistic tendencies quite a bit, but they're also not like, exceptionally narcissistic there's a difference even still between like the person who casually abuses their ability to um make the world a better place and then somebody who goes really out of their way um to bring themselves excess at the expense of others i mean i think that's when you find people you can categorize like these mega narcissists like trump right so there's a i hate to categorize like the guys at your job who have been disillusioned um and so complacent or worn down or whatever that they just don't i'm just gonna show up like i was saying just stay there if nobody needs anything i'm not gonna provide and then go home um you know that's more like a laziness or a selfishness but even this like full-fledged head-on narcissism have you ever personally known somebody like that like or were exposed to somebody that you would consider like that epitome of a narcissist I mean, not off the top of my head, but surely, yes. You know, I mean, I mean, you're talking about on a personal level, not on a celebrity level or anything like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like actually coming into contact with one of these people, uh-huh. um, what that's like. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll give you one. Um, it's my, uh, it's a relative. We'll, we'll leave it at that. And uh so so he's an older gentleman and he is he he definitely is the epitome of a narcissist and he to the point of where you know we we i remember a time where we were playing uh pool you know pool uh snooker around the table and and there was my my i think 10 12 13 year old cousin playing what was a 70 65 70 year old man at the time you know and uh he, he he lost he lost the game of snooker to the kid basically you know and he was so he couldn't he, he was unable to accept the loss he was so unable to accept the loss 
that he was like, he's like, oh, oh, the queue's wrong, the queue's broken, table slanted. He was making every excuse. It was no, there was no acknowledgement to the fact that he'd had actually lost to this child. It was, it was, it, it, I, I couldn't have possibly lost on fair grounds. Basically, he was unable to, to humble himself to that. Yeah, uh, being a sore loser, I think, is yeah. a big, big telltale sign of somebody yeah. who. I think so. Who has got a deep demon in there. Uh, somebody who flips a board, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, quits a game before it's finished. Yeah. What um, about this? Because I don't think, I don't, I, I wouldn't say this example fits into narcissism, but just on, on the theme of smashing shit up. Um, what about the, uh, the gamer who just can't get past that level, keeps getting fucking killed on, on Call of Duty or whatever and fucking launches his you know launches his uh controller across the room we've all done it <laughs> yeah yeah i've got i broke more than one controller that's for sure <laughs> that's what that's frustration and it's also yeah, a I think victimless so. I crime think so. i right? think so i don't you're think your own, you're your own victim there right now if you take your controller and smash it into your brother's face that might be different yes, uh, yes. like if he's beating you at mario kart and you decide to beat him for real, uh, that's different. But yeah, just yeah, that's a you really know, good this, example. yeah, brilliant. This kind of self-punishing disappointment. This like, ah, oh, you idiot! How could you? Again, uh, again, it's like the inability to come out of our grandiose ideals. And and going back to that kind of theory around when you're a kid, you know, you you can be loved this. You can be loved too much, and that's obsession. You can be loved too little, and that's neglect, and you can be loved in the wrong way, and that's abuse. Um, so really, it's a, the art of loving. But, but you know, narcissistic parents can wound children in, in a way that um, feels they're grandiose to a, a delusional way. So, you know, the, the child with the parent who, 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 who the child could do no wrong, you know, the child's been expelled several times and the parent is adamant it's always the school's fault. It's nothing to do with the child, you know. Um, that's, that's also having, the, you know, the child itself, they're being missed in that. Or if, um, if, if they're constantly celebrated about, um, let's say the child starts piano, you know, and that's just one part of the child. But the p child starts piano, and all the parents do is praise and talk about their child about being great at piano. Like, oh, come over here, come and listen to the child. He's amazing at piano. And what the child learns to do is it learns that I can only be seen and loved in these ways. You know, outside of that, I'm not loved, I'm not respected because there was such an emphasis placed and an overemphasis placed on certain parts of our being. So we can we can equally get affected by being underseen and acknowledged and loved, or overly exaggeratively seen and loved. Well, not seen because you're not you're not being seen. Then you're not being seen accurately for who you are. You're being uh, grandized, if that's the word. You know, maybe to tack on a little bit more, but I don't want to elaborate too much. But just to kind of make a, a a notation there, when you are a parent and you have kids, there also isn't one methodology that stays effective for very long or for the same person so um there's this flexibility because as your kid grows and they develop their psychological uh de developmental level like their level of ability changes and you need to adjust how you keep them engaged and stimulated so 
this is the then this is the double-edged sword here because if you are doing a really good job at at raising an intelligent talkative emotionally open um kid they're gonna tell you a lot and they're gonna talk to you a lot and they're not gonna want to stop expressing themselves and then it's become they develop this sense of uh, awareness and ability and or maybe they'll develop another type of personality but they become secure in it um so you give them confidence and just to be who they are and then you gotta let and then and that isn't you if that person is not you if it's somebody else for me i think you know my son is obviously a combination of the things that are all you know he's been developed by but what i see in him that irritates me the most is probably my own brother so when i see my brother's obstinance in my son it brings in a rage that is brilliant. yeah brilliant ancient yeah, ancient rage. like from my own from my own childhood it's like like oh i remember yeah. you i remember and and but you know that's uh and that's your inner child there that's been right yeah brilliant yeah Yeah, i love that fantastic example what a great example and i think you know i'm really passionate on on doing work around um building those with myself and others learning to build a stronger connection and respect for the the child within ourselves like that child you know that childish part not not childish as an immature but the child part of you that gets reminded of your experiences with your brother of how it was as a child with your brother in that way um that's the thing that it ignites yeah it, it's very interesting but as because they become people and then and you know he's not my brother he's his own version of his like uh you know to mention one more thing about my kid like he insists on doing everything backwards the first time just as a as a test uh, to see if I'm checking, you know, I tell him to go put his shirt on. He puts it on backwards. So one thing I want to definitely add in before we finish the podcast is um, how we might change our view of looking at narcissism and narcissists, because currently the narcissist has a very, very bad rep. And actually the narcissist needs more genuine love than any person really than any other individual um that's the thing that they but a narcissist has a broken heart so they they really need more love and acceptance than most so i guess yeah i guess you know a, a question would be how could we how could we view narcissism differently i mean and i'll i'll, I'll intro in this and we can have a discussion around it but i think I think we need to consider narcissists for the reality that they're going through, which is that they are actually incredibly insecure, even though a lot of narcissists are one of the, you know, the most successful kind of people. They through their own, um, through their own sense of being missed as a child, their attempts to, to, to battle against their own shame are often the, the, the forces that propel them to the great successes that they do. But obviously they still have the narcissistic tendencies. Um, so it's hard. It's very hard to be compassionate towards a narcissist. And I guess that's a question I'd like to leave the listeners to consider. This is how I think you, if you were like a parent of a, someone who's developing in a narcissistic way, or if you're an employer or somebody or around somebody, I think the only thing that you can do pedestrian standpoint is try to show somebody that there is a sense of value and self-worth 
and doing something that doesn't necessarily serve them. You talked about how you were afraid of in your mouth, uh, that how you kind of felt a sense of guilt for having this positive feedback from helping that kid, that that was feeding into your narcissism because it felt good and you wanted to continue to do that. Well, I think that if we can show people that you can get that feedback necessarily from just that, you know, a scorched earth policy for getting what you want or putting people aside, that you can probably feel better about yourself and get an even higher sense of um, I'm the greatest thing that ever happened. If you spend some of that energy helping other people, I think we could just redirect their, still satisfy their need to, but show them how to do it in a way that can be effective. Or, or I'm hoping this probably, who knows, but structure their development in a way. And then, and then trades, right? So you take a carpenter or a welder or somebody who can like really put themselves into their work. So you show them how to do, you show them how to do something with their hands. You show them how to create something with their energy and then it can be whatever they want it to be. Uh, but I think if you put that person in a office um, and you don't give them very much creative room to satisfy their needs, then you're probably going to have a hard time with them. Um, and then if, but if you can get them in a trade where they can like build a car and it, can, it has to be, perfect this car has got to be spotless it's got to be performance tuned it's got to be exactly uh machine precision that guy is who you want on that project that guy because if it's not like that it's going to blow up you want that guy to help you out so i think we need uh, i mean however you know if we could possibly get these people in the right vocations um i think it's better but as it is now we don't have a really strong emphasis on mental health so everything that i'm you can maybe direct someone in that direction or like, hey, pick up this kind of way, maybe find a way to exert your energy so that you can get a sense of value from something that you create and not direct that energy onto other people. So don't create mayhem, create, I don't know, a painting or something. Uh, and, you know, your expression can be open in a lot of different podcasting, broadcasting, trying to find ways to uh, get our feelings and emotions developed out, heard, and, and relate. And that brings us a sense of satisfaction and understanding. Like, you know, um, even in talking to one another just about this, it also brings development and ideas and um, reflection where at the end of this conversation, I'm going to have a different idea of how I consider narcissism and how I think about handling it and how I recognize it in myself. Um, and so to the, to the nth degree where it's at, you know, apex i think there's not a whole lot you can do but stay out of the way uh but well, if you're dealing with people just with varying degrees of it and varying degrees of it within yourself I, I would say try to focus that energy like once you recognize you have the energy try to find a way to direct it into something that maybe is not uh um and this is a little bit more my own like mystical background coming in here but i would say pick something that isn't something you're inclined to do if you don't know a second language Find a second language. If you can't draw at all, you never picked up a pencil in your life to draw a picture, try drawing. If, if you're embarrassed to sing, try singing. Like I would pick something that is so completely against your instinct that you're forced yeah. to be uncomfortable but, with it. But, but Yeah, just to add on to that, I love what you said there. Because just to add on to that, you say it's an instinct and maybe part of it is, or, or like a, a passion or whatever. But, um, but also that's the thing. That's one of the strongest and also also paradoxically most fragile structures psychic structures of a narcissist is that the, the the bit that they excel in is their their um 
psychic structure to hold their self-esteem from when they were shamed or unseen as as children growing up and so um the idea of doing something very different to what you naturally have high self-esteem in um it's very difficult but it's but it's it, it enables you to actually come into connection with another part of yourself and, I, and i'm testament to this you know like i'm i'm terrified at the idea of doing work for now because um because i'm pulling myself out of working with children because i work with children and clients and it's just a bit too much so the idea of pulling myself out of the the work that i am best at is terrifying it really is and i'm tr- and i'm going to do exactly that which is to try something a bit different i'm not too sure where i'm going with it yet but um just the idea is really really scary but i think it's going to do wonders um yeah especially in the way you're talking let's wrap it up here i reckon we've hit the two hour mark um next week's episode is going to be around reincarnation i believe so stay tuned for that one i hope you enjoyed yourselves peace out guys out guys out guys out guys out guys out